Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Goff. He's so kind, isn't he? Isn't he? Yeah, he's so, so kind and um, says things about, I don't know if you've ever had that with Goff. He's, he's talked to you about you and you think, Are you, have you got the right person? You know, he's just um, so overflowing with kindness. And um, it's great to be um, with you guys to see some old faces and some, and some new ones. And um, a real joy to be able to uh, preach to you today um, from the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter. Because I know you guys have been working through Acts. I'm undeniable about whether to preach from Acts. But I, I settled on a passage in 1 Peter we're going to um, read in just a moment. And uh, <clears throat> before I do that, so because some of you guys have, over the years, have been on LEAD, um, which is a two-year training course that I help to run for people who feel... Any kind of a calling to carry some responsibility either in the church or the workplace or the community. It's a two-year course. You work through from Genesis to Revelation, get a really good biblical foundation, get coaching and skills and all kinds of stuff. If you would like to find out more about that, there's people um, at King's who have done lead, people at King's are on lead, and um, we've opened up applications for uh, an intake this August. So if you think, oh, you feel your heart racing a bit faster, or you think, oh, I've been thinking about something like that, it can provide a really great uh, bit of scaffolding around you as, as God um, helps you to continue to grow. So, yeah, if you want to find out about that, um, lead at revelationchurch.org.uk or come and speak to me afterwards. Let's pray. Lord, we really are uh, excited to be in your word today. Thank you so much for the scriptures. I want to pray, Lord, for the moving of your Holy Spirit. I want to pray. Help me to be discerning and sensitive to what you are doing, Lord, with your church here today. Pray for all those who are hearing. You give them ears to hear what you are saying. We just want to have some time with you, Lord, in your word. Thank you. You are our Father. You speak amazing things to us. And I pray, Lord, you just open our hearts so that we can um, really receive um, richly from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been a funny couple of years, right? Well, not funny, but, you know, strange, a strange couple of years. And um, every part of our lives has been affected um, from our home life um, through to the, the you know, work life, definitely church life. And it's definitely a season of, I think, all of us reorientating, getting our minds straight on, on what's what and um, refocusing and, and coming out uh, of a really um, bizarre and somewhat painful season, uh, trusting that God's going to bring us into a season that's, that's um, happier and um, more, more fruitful. Um, but there will be a lot going on in all of our minds and hearts. There's, there's people that we've lost that we're trying to work through the reality of, of that. There's people that some of you may not have been able to see yet, dear ones, um, or maybe that's just starting to happen. Um, but there's a lot that's gone on. And um, uh, as we, as we look at 1 Peter, really the book is about suffering and, and helping the church to suffer well. And probably it's talking more about persecution. It's talking more about particularly suffering because you're a Christian. Uh, nevertheless, there's so much that we can learn from it with all kinds of suffering. Because if, if you're a believer, even if you're suffering in a way that everyone else is, say through a pandemic, the way you process it and understand it and make sense of it and respond to it is completely different. And it's so important that we remember that, that our whole process, our whole paradigm for making sense of what goes on in our lives is completely different from someone who doesn't know the Lord. Because if you don't know the Lord, 
Maybe some of you, if they don't know the Lord Jesus personally yet, then I say this with all uh, respect and, and with all kindness. But what that means is, is that you don't yet know the meaning of life because the Bible says not just all things were made by him and all things were made through him, but all things were made for him, which means he is the meaning of life. And so when you know him who is the meaning of life, everything changes and the way you process what goes on changes completely. You, the way you make sense of the difficulties of life, the way you make sense of the pain that we experience in life, it's very, very different. And what Peter's doing here is writing to a church that's been scattered and, they've been, and they're being persecuted. They're a, they're a minority. They're misunderstood. It's not an easy life. Um, and we're going to look at the words that he says to them. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. To 11. We may not get all the way through. We'll see how we do. Um, I'm going to try and be very respectful of time constraints. But um, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. He starts with this. The end of all things is at hand. Written about 2,000 years ago, you might be tempted to think, did he get it right? <laughs> the very same man in his next letter says this, that with the Lord, a thousand years is like a day. So it's just been a weekend. It's just been a little weekend, that's all, just a couple of days. The Lord knows what he's doing. And he actually, Peter refers to those who scoff and say, well, everything's just carry on like it, like it always has done. It's always, you know, where's, where's, where's the promise of his coming? And he says, people who say that don't realise that God is not slow about his promise. He's patient. He wants no one to perish. It's the patience of God. It's not to be sniffed at. It's not to be dismissed. He says, the end of all things is at hand. It's so important that we reckon with that because, again, it changes your whole perspective. It changes everything. It puts you on a different footing. It puts you on less of a footing of how am I going to make my life as comfortable as possible for the next however many decades I've got to how am I going to invest in eternity? That's a completely different mindset. Totally different mindset. It doesn't mean you don't think about this life. Of course not. We're human. It's natural. It's fine. But there's a, there's a perspective. Um, there's, an, there's a sense of living with the imminent sense of the coming of Jesus. I found it so helpful going through the Lord's Prayer in my devotional time because quite near the front you get to what we prayed earlier, your kingdom come. Now there's two ways you can pray that. You can pray, Lord, you know, more of your kingdom, like as it talks about in Daniel, that stone that becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. Lord, more of your power, pour out your spirit, we can do all of that, but we're also praying, come, Lord Jesus. And if you regularly have time in the presence of God praying, come Lord Jesus. Something begins to happen in your heart and in your mind. You begin to care about it. It begins to matter to you. It begins to be something that feels real in your heart. 
having conversations with my children sometimes, I say, oh, Dad, I'm not sure I want Jesus to come again. And when we get to the bottom of it, it feels so unreal. It feels so out there that it doesn't feel as good as the good stuff in this age. Because it feels beyond grasp, beyond, whereas if you live in the reality of it, the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So if you begin investing in praying, Lord Jesus, come again. And getting into the scriptures about it, you'll find that your heart begins to go there. He says the end of all things is at hand. And a church that lives in that is a church that's ready. A church that doesn't is a church that's unready. All of us have been following over the last few days the developments in Ukraine with a mixture of heartache, heartbreak, and admiration. They're on a war footing. For them, it probably feels like, you know, potentially, in a, in a different sense, the end of all things is at hand. And look, this mobilization, extraordinary. These women's solicitors and lawyers and teachers in, in a park making Molotov cocktails. A few days ago, they were about to go and teach dance lessons. It's extraordinary. Something's changed. There's, a, there's, a, there's an imminent sense of, we've got to get on a war footing. That is the appropriate Christian mindset from a spiritual perspective. Peter says, I want you to know, this is the word of God, the end of all things is at hand. Do you believe it? And he says to them, therefore, so therefore always means in light of that, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now we may not get further than here today. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. It strikes me there's different ways as Christians that we can respond to the pandemic we've just been through. For example, we might just want to spend some time licking our wounds. That's a dangerous place to go. That's not a gospel place to go. A gospel place to go is where we recognize where we've been hurt and we live in the reality of it and we mourn it. And we bring it before him. And sometimes in moments of miraculous, instantaneous wonder and other times through a process. He brings healing. But if we don't bring that pain to him and instead we decide to lick our wounds, then that, that goes to self-pity. I never used to think I was a self-pitying person. Then I had a, a pastoral session with Goff about five years ago. And we were talking through a struggle I was having. I was really in a, really in a, in a tight corner. And I said, Goff, I've got to talk. And so I went up to the, the hallowed loft with Goff. And... Um, I approached Goff because I knew he'd be gentle. I knew he'd be gentle, but I knew he'd be truthful. And I said, I spelt it all out to me. And we talked things through, and he said some really helpful stuff. At one point, he said, do you struggle with self-pity? I said, no, it's really not me. didn't think that was me at all. Went to bed, lying in bed that night, I thought, I do struggle. I really do. I spend quite a lot of time in self-pity. Why this? Why that? Poor old me. And the danger with self-pity is it leads to entitlement. It leads, to a, it leads to allowing yourself into attitudes and things that really are not godly. But it kind of gives you a sense of permission. Well, I've been so wronged, so hard done by that, I will, I will be bitter, I will be resentful, I will be selfish, I will be whatever. You see, when you go for a hard time, you can get into that. It's a dangerous place to go. Instead of a place of bringing your wounds to Christ and letting his healing balm. 
or show of you. Recognizing the pain, but not getting into just a place of licking your wounds. Another way, we can, another thing we can get into is um, the activists among us can come out of the pandemic and just like, right, I'm going to make a whole load of new plans. We're going to just do loads of stuff. We're going to do, 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 because we couldn't do, do, do for two years. Now I'm going to do, do, do. Frankly, that's exhausting. That is exhausting. It's not what the Lord would be having us do. It's a, it's a false refuge. It's a false refuge. New plans, new vision. The vast majority of us do not have the energy for that. Am I right? It's not wise. There's no need for it. There's no need for it. The godly approach is God will give, God will give us the direction that we need. We haven't, got, we haven't got a shepherd ourselves. We haven't got to parent ourselves. He's our shepherd, amen? He's our father. He will lead us. He will, he will bring us through into the next season. If it's a bit of a winter, okay, sit tight. He'll make it spring. He'll make it spring. He'll bring spring to summer. He'll do it. So activism is not the answer. See, Peter's saying be self-controlled and sober-minded. Get your thinking right. And, and, and your conduct, right? Because there's so, many, there's so many cranky places we can go in our mind. Am I right? So many. So here's another one you can go to. You can go to um, throwing your toys out of the pram. Sulking with God. Sulking with God. That, 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 where that, that's just futile. <laughs> we, are part of a, we are part of a world and a life and a, a story that is way much bigger than me. Amen? And we love that and it inspires us. But also, actually, sometimes he humbles us because you go, there are things going on that I don't get and that are beyond me, but actually I need to be able to, I need to, be able to stay engaged in it and remain in that place where I'm protecting my heart in it and recognising that, yeah, well, I've taken, I seem to be, my, my part of the story seems to have taken a lot of hits lately. But, but it's not all about me. And that, and that doesn't just inspire me in those moments of singing like we had. Actually, it protects me. In the moments of vulnerability, I've got to be sober-minded here and make sure that I'm not self-centered, but Christ-centered. Another one is, is passivity. We can just feel like victims of circumstances after the last two years. You just feel like a victim of circumstance. What can we do now? Tell us what we're allowed to do now. You know, what's the latest regulations? Okay, we'll do that. No, it's just fine. You know, that's not a correct way and a helpful way to interpret what's gone on. That, um, that's godless. You're not, you, that, that's just, you're not seeing where God is in the midst of it. Peter's saying, listen, people, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of what? Now this is huge. For the sake of your prayers. For the sake of your prayers. And um, this is really the, 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 the burden that God has given me to speak to you about um, today is primarily prayer. All of those wrong mindsets, the right mindset is this. Let's head into deeper waters. Let's get into God. Let's head into deeper waters. That's what God would have us do. Let's think about the book of Acts, because you guys have been working through it. Let's think about the book of Acts. 
In Acts 1, Jesus says, wait. And then we're told in verse 14 that the way they interpreted that was to devote themselves to prayer. And the Holy Spirit came. In Acts 4, they're threatened. Stop talking about Jesus. What do they do? They pray. Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. And they're refilled with the Holy Spirit and the building shakes. In Acts 6, there's a complaint. The widows are being overlooked. The apostles say, well, we've got to appoint some people to help. Why? Because we have to, ourselves have to remain devoted to the ministry of prayer and the word. In Acts 7, Stephen is um, attacked by the mob. Throw stones at him. He's just about to die. And what does he do? He prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In Acts 9, Saul, on his way to persecute the church, is um, thrown down by the glory of Christ. Led into Damascus, blinded. God appears to Ananias and says, go and find Saul. You'll find him doing what? Praying. Acts 10, Cornelius, we're told that he prayed continually to God. And then an angel came and said, go and find Peter. Peter goes up on the roof to do what? Pray. God speaks to him and gives him the directions. In Acts 12, Peter's in prison. What did the church do? Pray. It's their default. It's what they do. It's who they are. If you look at these stories, you'll find visions. You'll find trances. You'll find multiplication and extraordinary growth. You'll find scales falling from eyes. You'll find dramatic conversions. You'll find angelic visitations. You'll find apostolic momentum. You'll find baptisms in the Holy Spirit. You'll find prison release. You'll find martyrdoms. You'll find mourning. You'll find joy. You'll find the presence of God. They were a people who prayed. We are great planners. They were great prayers. We are great talkers. They are great prayers. We are great organisers. They were great prayers. They were relative simpletons compared to us and they knew the power and glory of God in their midst. Sorry, folks. I'm one of you. I'm not speaking from higher ground, even though I'm about a foot up higher. Spiritually speaking, I'm on a level with you. Just feel this burden. Now's the time to pray, church. Now is the time to pray. We need God to graciously help us to enlarge us in prayer. That our default isn't to analyze, but it's to pray. That our default isn't to make a new plan, but it's to pray. Who's going to build the church? Jesus said, I'm going to build the church. We don't build the church. We co-labor with him, but he's the faithful son over the house. We believe in a glorious church, don't we? We believe in a church that will be, Jesus said, you're, you're like a city on a hill, a light that shines in the darkness. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And he said, you're the light of the world. We believe in a glorious church, a church that will be mobilized in the power of the Holy Spirit, a church that will really know the nearness and the power and the presence of God. We believe in that kind of church. Jesus said, I will build my church. He builds the church. For a large part, our involvement in it is what? Prayer. Come on, Lord, do those things that we can't do. Do those things that are beyond us. I don't know loads about your prayer life as a church. I don't know loads about, it came up in breakfast with Goff and Angie, incidentally, 
They didn't know I was preaching on this, incidentally. But I don't know much. We, we chatted for little more than a, a few seconds about the prayer life of the church. I don't know much about it. But I've come to you today with a burden to say to you, please learn how to pray. There are so many things that stop us from praying, aren't there? So many things. Whether it's physical, you suddenly feel... Ex- Anyone ever gone to pray and suddenly felt exhausted? Or really hungry? Anyone? I was fine and now I'm just like really hungry. I need biscuits. Or you go to pray and suddenly the, just the, 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 the to-do list, the things you haven't done yet, you know, it can just suddenly like, oh, 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 all these things I hadn't thought of before. There's so many things to stop us praying because praying is powerful. And maybe you're, maybe you're here today and you have prayed and there were things you have prayed for and, and you didn't see the answer and it seemingly God didn't come through and, it, and it's a painful thing. Now what you, what you do there in that moment is absolutely huge because you can't, prayer is a thing of the heart, it's a thing of the spirit, it's a connection with God. You can't just play games at it, it's not just going through the motions. Real praying is in the, is in the Holy Spirit it's a, and it's a spirit to spirit, it's a deep calls to deep, it's a connection with God. And so if you're carrying offence with God, if you're offended by God, or if you're disappointed, then you're going to need to find a way in the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit and with the help of brothers and sisters to get your heart healed and restored so you can start seeking God again. It's the reality of it, brothers and sisters. That's the reality of it. Oh, we want to see people saved, don't we? Don't we? We long to see people saved. Only God can do that. Did you know that? Only God can do that. It's a total miracle. If you're here and you're born again, you have experienced the biggest miracle you ever could. You've got a new heart. They don't come cheap. You've been bought by the blood of Christ. That's extraordinary. God came on you by his spirit and woke you up, brought you back to life. Only God can do that. Who are you carrying in your heart? Your neighbours, your colleagues, family? Only God can do that. You say, well, why don't they believe? Paul's very clear about it. The God of this age has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers. It's warfare. It's spiritual warfare. We are the church. We are those who have been entrusted by God, entrusted with the oracles of God, the message of God, entrusted with the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, among other things, so we can pray. Because you know what? We don't know how to pray as we all. Hallelujah. We can be honest about it. Anyone ever been ashamed that they feel rubbish at praying? Don't worry. God's already told you you are. Romans 8. It's all good. It's all good. You can just come and say, I can't go to the prayer meeting. I'm rubbish at it. They're all rubbish at it. Everyone who's there is absolutely useless at it. Okay, let's just settle that. No one's a good prayer, okay? And if they are, they're probably just showing off, and that's not praying, okay? No one's a good prayer. We're all useless. Amen? Amen. But the Spirit helps us in our weakness, amen? Why didn't you say amen to that? Only God said amen to that. You said amen to that you're useless, but the Spirit helps us in our weakness, amen? Do you believe it? Why are the prayer meetings so empty? Why? 
Why in a church of 150, uh, a place that there are eight people at the prayer meeting? Why? I don't know. Maybe we think we can do it ourselves. Maybe we're not bothered. Maybe, maybe we're lazy. Maybe there's heart situations. I don't know why, but it, it breaks my heart because you think, well, how are we, how are we ever, how are we ever going to move forward? And you might say, what is it to do with the numbers? I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works, but when, when, the, Lord, when the Lord doesn't see a people mobilise, the people that, who don't seem to be bothered, sorry, that's powerful in a very negative way. Maybe say, I, can't, I literally can't get to the prayer meeting. Okay, fine. Find some people in church to pray with and find out what the church are praying for and pray with them for the cause of the church. We give way so easily. We give way so easily. One of my favorite and most, what's the word? Most uh, devastating sayings is where there's a will, there's a way, because it's true. When people want to do something, they do it. Am I right? You know the people that are always too busy to do anything, and then they're busy every night of the week. I can't, I can't, I can't. And then they fall in love. And suddenly there's seven free evenings in the week for them to meet their beloved. You think, that's, that, that's a miracle right there. How did that happen? Simple. They fell in love. They want to be with that person. Don't complicate it. Where there's a will, there's a, there's a way. But these are deep waters we're in. These are deep waters we're in. There's so many things that keep us from seeking God. So many things. So, and we can get so disheartened, but... Brothers and sisters, there's a burden here. If, if this church is going to come into the next season in God, whatever that season looks like, I don't know, God knows, it's going to take prayer. It's going to take concerted, united prayer. It's going to take prayer where you hold one another's arms up when one another's failing. It's going to take prayer when you leave the house and it's still dark. It's going to take prayer. Take prayer. Jesus said, you might think, oh no, but this, listen, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. If you settle that that's the first thing and the most important thing, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier. I know we don't normally preach like this because we love grace. I understand that. I was born again into New Frontiers. Wherever you cut me, I'm New Frontiers. I get it. I get it. But those who wrote the Bible seem to be able to live in the goodness of the grace of God and exhort in a very strong and powerful way to prayer at the same time. So we must be able to do the same, right? Listen to what Peter says. We've done most of it. You'll be glad to hear. But I'll just run away afterwards. <laughs> Here we go. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Keep loving each other. You don't need new structures. Well, you might do, but it's not the main thing. The main thing is always love each other well. Move towards each other. You know in the Bible where it says perfect love casts out fear? It's not talking about God's love. Read the context. It's 1 John. He's talking about mature love in believers casts out fear. That's what the word perfect means, mature, complete. When we learn to grow, in course, of course that love comes from God, but it's talking about when we, when we grow in love, as people, it pushes out fears to the, to the margins of our lives because we move towards one another. We're no longer thinking, oh, I won't reach out there because what if they don't like me? Fear. No, we just love. 
we risk rejection because we'd love. Above all else, earnestly love one another. Above all else, it's the main thing. If you, if you guys have a red-hot love for God as you've experienced his love for you and let that grow by the Holy Spirit and you love one another, you will, be fly, you will fly as a church. It's really what it's all about. We're so experts at complicating things. Above all else, covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to each other without grumbling. Open your homes to each other. Open your homes up to each other. We're allowed to now. So don't get, in, don't get into bad habits of not opening your homes up. You're allowed to now. Open your homes up and have loads of people around for food. Go for it. In the name of Jesus. Divine regulations. Be hospitable. Be generous. I'm in so much trouble. Um, as each has received a gift, we're going to end on this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Okay, so here we go. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. A steward is someone who has something that's really ultimately someone else's. So they've been given something, but it's not ultimately theirs. They've been given something in order to be faithful with it. So the spiritual gifts that we have are a stewardship. They're his. They're his, which means he's going to want to know what we did with it. So if we spend our whole time sitting on our gifts, or given 101 reasons why we can't use our gifts, there's a stewardship issue there, because it's the Lord's. Imagine a church where everyone, where any, any sort of gathering you had, whether small or large, but everyone turned up going, I want to use my gifts today. Can you imagine how dynamic it would be? It would be extraordinary. And consumerism is like a spiritual cancer in the church. This idea that you just sort of turn up and, okay, who, who's doing it? Who's doing what? It's fascinating being in a, in a conversation, a Zoom conversation with Terry Virgo, who the founding father of New Frontiers recently, uh, uh, no, he didn't found it recently, but I was in a Zoom conversation recently, he founded it about 40 years ago. But he planted a church in Hove near Brighton, and they got to about 400 people, and all they had a pianist with perfect pitch. And... Um, so she would just, when someone started a song, she'd know what key it was in and go for it. That was it. No, there was, there was, no, one, there was no list of songs. You just turned up. Body of Christ. Songs, choruses, prayers, tongues, interpretations, spiritual gifts. Up to 400 people. I praise God for gifting like this morning, but if that ever creates a passive consumerist church, We've lost our way. We've lost our way. We're the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. Everyone has something to bring. It might be more on the speaking front. Paul Peter goes on to say, those who speak, do it as if it's the oracles of God. It could be more not about speaking. It says whoever serves, do it with the strength that God supplies. So it's different gifts, it's different things. Not everyone will be opening their mouth in a public sense. Sure, absolutely, but everyone will be doing something. That is so dynamic. It's such a wonderful picture, and it makes, should make our heart race faster. Because as we do these things, listen to how it finishes. In order that, the end goal, 
The end goal of everything I've spoken about today is that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now, I know some of you well, but I don't know all of you. It's been, it's felt, this sermon has felt a bit more like a bomb than I imagined that it would. So I'm just being honest with you. Um, but, and it's 11.30, which is, I think, about the time you finish. But I think probably it's a good idea to ask Goff to come and pick up the pieces. <laughs> um, so there we go. I've discharged my burden, and I'm trusting that God will use it in your hearts for your good and for the glory of God. Amen.